are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. Listen. Linda. I'm going to tell you something. Listen. I'm an open book, all right? All right. So if there's anything that I would feel hesitant about saying, it would be on someone else's behalf, you know? I get so that. Pass the point of Karen. Okay. <laughs> you you make yourself sound a lot older than you really are. I know. Like a pass the point of caring. You sound life. like you're 80. I've had a long life. <laughs> Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. Welcome. I'm, I'm Beth. I'm I'm Kate. And we are here with our special guest, Zach Jones. Yeah. Welcome, Zach. I'm so excited. Hello. Glad to have you here. <laughs> Just a guest. Just a guest. Just a guest. So a little bit of this, though, I feel like maybe you could be our third interviewer. We could start doing fours. No one wants to answer the questions I gotta <laughs> ask. Trust me. We're here with Detective Zach yeah. Jones. Zach was born in East Liverpool, Ohio, and I'm going to let him tell you his life story because it's fascinating. But Zach is married to Molly. They've been married for 18 years. They have four, count them, 17, 16, 14, and 13-year-old oh, teenagers, and wonderful, wonderful kids. Oh, my goodness. They're the proud parents of Savannah, Weston, Charlotte, and Lane. Zach graduated from East Liverpool in the height of its heyday. He was a football star and a track star. Not a star. He was a star. No. Molly will tell you. He went to YSU and he worked in the construction field and was an iron worker. He started coming to the upper room in 2007 with Molly and they had all four kids by then. He was a young dad and joined the police academy in 2010. He's been there for 10 years. He is a detective and we're so excited to have you here with us. Very excited to be here. Yes. That didn't very, sound like he was excited, yeah, but he is. Very, He's smiling. very glad to be here. <laughs> I'm very glad to be here. you got to fill us in on your life history. Okay. Born in East Liverpool, Ohio. Born to a good, solid Christian family uh, from that area. My mom's side of family. My dad's side of family is from Selineville, Ohio. Also a really great bunch. I love them all dearly. My mom met my dad at a very young age, around 17 years old. He convinced her, coaxed her into uh, leaving home at 17 with him to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where she um, entered into a lot of fun with my father. My father was a bit of the ornery type. Good man, loved him dearly, but a bit of the ornery type. Very free-spirited man. They um, conceived me, lack of better terms, in Fort Lauderdale. They ended up coming back up to Ohio, to Selaneville. Uh, we lived in Selaneville, Ohio when I was just a little a little tyke. Dad worked at Crucible Steel along with my grandfather. My grandfather got him a job down there. They worked on the carpenter gang at Crucible Steel in Midland, Ohio. It, it was a good time, you know, in the late 70s. In the steel industry there, turned the other way in the 80s. But um, dad lost his job there uh, when the mill closed. Uh, My grandfather did too. Dad ended up going to Greensboro, North Carolina uh, after a hurricane hit down there because he needed work. So dad went down there and um, laid block and built houses. He was a mason and carpenter. We lived in a trailer park down there right outside of uh, Greensboro. Life was tough. Those are the things that build us. I believe I was five. My brother was four. Whatever preschool age would be. 
There was some substance abuse issues. Things weren't always pretty. Dad, as I said, loved the man dearly. You know, I have great and fond memories, but he suffered alcohol addiction his whole life, his whole adult life anyway. While in Greensboro, that started going down that path, and uh, it made for a unique living experience, a unique family experience for us. There was, you know, there was some domestic violence. There was all those types of things that you see that goes that go along with that as a young kid. Long story short, all that came to a head after about, you know, j- just short of a year in Greensboro. There was an incident. Mom and dad got into a fight. And things had happened. Along with the violence, mom, you know, I, I think she had an emotional breakdown. She ended up coming back up to Ohio, back up to East to East Liverpool. <laughs> Subsequently, nothing against mom. She's an amazing woman. I love her to death. She was so down and so broken that she left me and my brother down there. <laughs> she got back up home and my grandfather and my uncle ended up going down to Greensboro and retrieving me and my brother at four and five years old. Brought us back up home. Uh, we lived in Columbiana County Metropolitan Housing. Um, like I said, I think I was in the sixth grade. Mom raised us all by herself. God bless her soul. She went to college at a little junior college while raising us. We had to grow up fast. We had to grow up very fast. Seeing the things we've seen and living the way we were living there, you know, a whole lot of bologna, a whole lot of cornflakes. It is what it is, you know, a whole lot of food stamps, a whole lot of wick, a whole lot of tokens for lunch, kind of things that make you strong, kind of things that I don't, I don't talk negatively about. Those are the things that make you who you are, give you a little backbone, give you a little bit of rigidity. That's the way we grew up. Tell my kids I laugh with them and tell them that, uh, you know, dad walked, you know, the old famous dad walked uphill to school <laughs> both ways. We literally walked uphill both ways. We walked downhill too, but we walked uphill both both ways. You know, I don't think there's any geography that goes uphill both ways, you know, but we, we walked uphill both ways and, and, down, and downhill too. Uh, rain, snow, it didn't matter, you know. We walked from the uh, apartment complex to La Croft Elementary through our uh, grade school years. Mom made it through junior college. She got an associate degree. She got a job working for the uh, High State Highway Patrol doing a uh, driver's exam. Mom is not a cop. She's not the police type. But she, she did do that. She did that for 25 years. She retired. So when you have to go get your driver's license, she's in She the would car. be the lady that rode in the car with you. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, Officer Smiley. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's who was in my car. Yes, yeah, she three times I think I had to take my test. She worked with him for years. Yeah, <laughs> no way. Oh, yeah. I've, I, I've had many of conversations oh with him. Really nice guy. He was smiley, but I didn't pass my first time or my second time. <laughs> I wasn't smiling. I was crying. Oh my. But uh, unique. At any rate, we would have our every other week visitations with dad, you know, every other weekend. Dad was the outdoors type, take us fishing and hunting. You know, we had horses and we'd go horseback riding, country folk kind of stuff. It's a nice little release from town. So it was your dad's family that had the farm? Yes. My dad's family, uh, the Joneses from Slaneville, Ohio. If you say Joneses from Slaneville, Ohio, anywhere within the surrounding three counties, people will probably know what family you're talking about. (laughs) They are a unique bunch. I love them today death. They are very country. The farm out there was 88 acres when I was a kid. We would go out there and romp and run, you know, run through the woods and hunt and fish. It was a good time. Grew up there and uh, graduated from East Liverpool uh, in 1999. Ended up going to college at Youngstown State for a few years. I did not finish. I got three years into it. Didn't have the, I don't know, long story bear, didn't have the, the correct classes for the degree, but I was going part-time and working, so I couldn't take every class at the right time kind of thing. But my mistake, I met my wife shortly after graduation there. I met her at a 4th of July birthday party out of my cousin's place. We were playing uh, volleyball. You know, some chemistry. And then that week I had asked about her and she'd asked about me and, 
you know, we ended up getting together. So we ended up getting pregnant with Savannah before we were married. Yes, before we were married. <laughs> um, listen, life's about being real. Uh, we got pregnant with Savannah. We had already talked about getting married and wanted to be with each other and Talking about it's one thing, and when you, <laughs> when that happens, uh, the, the conversations become a lot more real. We decided, yeah, we decided that that talk we'd been having, uh, we would give it a shot. I don't regret it at all. She's an amazing woman. She's not perfect. Nobody is, but she loves like Jesus. Mm-hmm. She puts up with me through. You, you have no idea. The girl really does love like Jesus. She's the sweetest person, and everyone will describe her like that. You know, we she's love Molly. So at any rate. I got married. Yeah, we got married. We had Savannah that next spring, and we had three kids after that. We had four kids in a little over four years, and I I don't regret it. We, we had always talked. <laughs> you were about, young. You handled well, it. Well, <laughs> we had always we, we'd always talked about having a big family. We had talked about having six kids. My grandfather on my mother's side had six kids. I, I came from big families. You know, there was seventeen siblings on my dad's side. So we'd always talked about having six kids. But the doctor after the fourth one, the doctor for some health reasons said he shouldn't be doing this anymore. So we I won't say settled, but we we made the decision. That stick with four. Life happens fast. It happens very fast. And uh, once you get headed down that road, it's like a hillside, like a roller coaster. And sometimes when you get headed down there, you can't slow it up. I didn't get a chance to finish college. I had to go to work. I had to feed kids and uh, buy diapers and that sort of thing. And so I started, you know, in the trades. That's what my father did. It's what my grandfather did. Got on with some really outstanding companies uh, where I learned a lot, not just a lot about trades. You can learn that a lot of different places, but I learned a lot about life, uh, a lot about what it meant to be a man in certain different ways. Very fortunate. One thing I could say in life, I have an easy life. I've had to work my butt off most of my life, but I'm not complaining about that. One thing that I can say is the good Lord always put me in places with people and other men that helped mold that, helped build that. Not that they were specifically great in any certain way, but they were what you needed at that time in that certain way. I worked for some unique people. The first company I worked for was uh, Mays Brothers Incorporated. It was four guys, and I still talk to them to this day. Really great guys. Taught me work ethic like I've never been taught before. The one older fella ended up getting sick with cancer while I was working there ended up passing away while I was working there. And I would go to work with him every day, and I'd see him struggle through this, and he would just pound away every day until one morning he couldn't, and that was it. That kind of stuff teaches you things, you know. It mm-hmm. teaches you to be tough and resilient. A lot of things that I try to give to my kids, especially my boys and kids and boys in Warren, Ohio, while I'm about my way, you know, little little tidbits that help make you something. I left there after three years and went, went to work for a little larger company. Did a lot larger work and a lot harder work and great company as well. They're still going strong. But we were working out of town a lot. I didn't remember a whole lot of the early years of my oldest son, Weston, uh, in my middle daughter, really all three of my older kids. I I missed a lot. I was out of town a lot. I was working about just shy of 100 hours a week. You know, we were working out of town, Charleston, West Virginia and Cleveland. And uh, I would do side work at night, come home and shower and go back out, go finish drywall till one in the morning and come home, grab a few hours of sleep and go back and drive to Cleveland to a large site. Did that for a lot of years. Tell us how you switched from the construction industry and got into Detective work. Well, you, you know, life is, uh, I've always said, you know, and I'm sure other people have said it too, a lot more intelligent than me, but, you know, life is a pick your own adventure book. You know, <laughs> it really is. You wish the book was bigger sometimes. You really do. Yep. Because life is short. 
and uh, you run out of years after a while. But uh, Life is a Pick Your Own Adventure book. We were looking for a church. We were driving 45 minutes to Selaneville Assembly of God once we had moved to Negley. I uh, was running heavy machinery for a, a great little company in Rogers, Ohio. When I went to look for another church, we ended up here, and uh, we really liked the place and liked the people. And you know, I'm not one of them guys that jump churches and try a thousand different churches. I'm not built that way, and I'm not I'm not put my opinion on anybody else, you know. But I think people put a little too much into is this place right for me or not right for me. We ended up here and met a uh, very interesting man. We don't get a chance to talk too much anymore, but I'd still call him my friend and his wife and kids, and that was the Bowleys used to go here. And he was, still is, law enforcement officer. I don't know in what capacity now. Met him, and I took a liking to what he was doing, you know, how he could have the opportunity to influence people, talk to people, you know. I said, you know, something I'd like to do that. So I did. I went to the police academy in 2010. Started in at Columbia NPD. I was there a very, very brief time. And uh, the chief there said, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there, uh, you know, if you'd, if you'd want to work for a larger department. And I ended up answering ad at Warren City Police Department. I think in 2012, I started at the city of Warren, Ohio Police Department. For the life of them, they didn't know why a fellow would want to drive an hour from Columbiana County to Warren, Ohio every <laughs> night. I chose to do it because it was real police work mm. in more than one way. And all the things that come with an old steel town like that that's in a struggling state. So, Zach, tell us who or what turned your light on. I don't know. I hate to call it a walk. Christian uh, experience, I guess. I was graciously born into uh, two Christian families. Very much different, but very much the same. My mom's family, very, very grounded, good Christian folk that made sure that I was in church and uh, at least hearing all the things I needed to hear. My father's family, very much grounded in the love for the Lord, uh, just in a little, some different aspects. My uh, mother's family is a l- larger family, too. There was uh, six siblings. My grandfather, grandmother, I-, I can't say enough good about them. They were amazing people that uh, everyone in the family and community looked up to. My, my dad's mother and father, amazing people in their own rights. A little bit different ways, but amazing people that would definitely draw your attention. My grandfather on my dad's side was very, very old uh, when I came came about. He was born in the Deep South in the um, you know the second rendition of slavery. I call it would have been uh, after the abolition of slavery, but he nevertheless he was born on a plantation, and that's the way he grew up through his childhood. Didn't want part of it, so he left and started making and running corn whiskey. Uh, that's how he afforded the farm in Slaneville, Ohio. He wanted to have a produce farm, so that's what he did. So he grew produce on. 88 acres and had a produce route in Mahoning County. My grandfather had very Mormonistic views and he believed that sister wives was the way that the Bible intended. He was, and I'm not a theologian here, but he was very uh, Old Testament kind of driven fella. My grandmother was the second of the wives. Uh, She was an immigrant from Sicily. She came over to the United States when she was seven. Very dear lady, very opinionated, and very tough. My grandmother on my dad's side, my dad's mom was not a mousy woman. She's a firecracker. And uh, uniquely. Anyway, she passed away when I was, uh, oh, geez, six, seven, somewhere around there. I don't remember much about her. Uh, my, my grandfather as well. My dad's dad passed away shortly therein. A unique perspective uh, on Christianity. My grandfather traveled around, spoke in churches, gave messages, very powerful messages, and was very intent on preaching the Word of God in his beliefs which always weren't taken well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was a story where Southern local schools found out my grandfather 
had two wives. And uh, one day they pulled the buses not to pick up his children bus stop. So my grandfather waited until the bus went by and stood in the middle of the road. So where he goes, he had an, he had an axe in his hand. <laughs> And he told the bus driver, stop the bus and open up the door and let my kids on or the axe will open the door and I'll drive my kids to school myself <laughs> and the other kids with them. He was just that kind of man. Don't mess um, with John Jones. That's the way John Jones was. So, yeah, I grew up with very bold personalities on both sides. That, that All that said, I heard a lot of the Lord and uh, seen a lot of the Lord. As a kid, you hear it, you see it, but you know, you really don't take a lot of it. My experience is that I really couldn't feel Christ until I walked in life and went through trials. And that's just me. I mean, some people may say at 13 years old, they had not a care in the world and they met Christ and they were just as tight as thick as thieves, you know, them and them and Jesus. I don't know. That wasn't me. But there is um, something to going through the trials and on the other side of them, seeing the faithfulness of Jesus. Correct. That's the thing, you know, in my life. And again, I can't speak for everybody, obviously. My life, I kind of started really neutral but with I mean, lack of direction. As any young man is going to have a whole lot of lack of direction in life in general and in spirituality, you know. There's a point in my life where I went really far left. I just wanted to throw down cold beers and put a dip in and find out what young lady I could chase around. Luckily for me, I, you know, I met in amongst that, I met the woman that I could never meet again. Going down that path with her, you know, as some Christians do, I know I did. I become extremely far right, so far right that people don't know who you are anymore. and So far right that you forget who you are at times and, um, which I think is also typical of maybe some young men out there, you know. But um, you see life and you experience life and kind of come back to that middle point. And I'm a firm believer there is one thing missing in not just this church, but but the Christian. The big C church. The big C church, yeah. you know, is a lack of transparency. I'm sure with women too, but especially men. I know for me as a young man, I'm not old, 39 years old, I'll be 40 here in a you know, few months, but as a young man who comes into a church, as I said, you know, you, you go down a left path, a right path, you're back to the middle and then you veer off again, you know, and you're always wondering when you go into church and you see, you know, you see all these other fellows, you're always wondering where are they at? Where are they at? And you go and you shake hands every Sunday and you say, how's things going? How was, how was your week? Oh, great, great, man. Good <laughs> Lord, solid, you know. And you wonder, right? Because your week wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you wonder this as a young, immature 25-year-old. You call their bluff as a little bit more seasoned 40-year-old. And I've seen a whole lot of life in other people. And what I do now for a living, I have the unfortunate position to be inside of everyone's life when things go bad and when things go wrong. And let me tell you something. It ain't prejudice. It affects the poor, the rich, the black, the white. It doesn't matter what side of town you live on. I've been in doctor's houses. I've been in millionaire's houses mm. for the same exact problems as the people in the projects, right? So it doesn't matter. When you see that and you know what the truth is and you say, I know it ain't perfect. I know it ain't right. When I sit here in the foyer on Sunday morning watching the people come in and out of the doors and I see a young couple come in and I see them go through the same routine. They shake. They talk with another couple and Everything's sunshine and rainbows. It has been for the last week and the week before that and the week before that. When what they really should say is, Kat, it was rough. And I don't know that I'd go through another one like that. If it wasn't for God, I probably wouldn't be standing here right now talking to you because I really don't feel like being here. 
as human beings, we're not geared to think that way. We're not geared to act that way. But, you know, I think the church would, the church, not this church, the big church, I think it would, the power of the Lord could multiply beyond all belief if there was some transparency, if less people would go through the motions and more young men especially would see a little bit more accuracy in life. Um, so I go about my day trying to be as real as I can. Not always possible, you know, we're only human, but I try to. You asked me how that all went, and I've been far right, and I've been far left. I've been a Bible pounder, and I've been the guy that don't even know where to find it and don't care. It's the realistic truth of walking with God. I'm a firm believer that, and again, I'm no theologian. I'm just telling you what I what I think from my experiences. You know, I'm a firm believer that... Uh, a lot of spirituality, a lot, of, a lot of your relationship with God is not so much uh, you trying to seek God, like they say. I know there's probably some truth into that. There's been moments in my life where I've seeked God. Been a whole lot more moments in my life where I did not. I believe it. A lot of it is more God seeking me. You know, not giving up on you and being there, following you around, leading you, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. When um, would you say you made yourself available to Him? You know, he was pursuing, seeking, even even with his hand on you, meeting Molly and that being such well, a you know, positive thing in your life in the long run, even though it didn't maybe start the way you wanted it to. And that's the, that's the unique thing about life. Sometimes, you know, it may go down the right path and for whatever reason, maybe a decision you make, maybe just God's plan that you think it starts to fall apart or you make a horrible decision or... Or you make a mess out of it. Like I said, meeting meeting Molly was, I mean, it, and God, how, how fortunate. The path we took, not the right path. And I remember her telling me that night what the skinny was, you know, that she was pregnant. Hopefully she don't kill me later for putting this on podcast. But I remember I was renting this little house where we raised our first three kids there in the early years. But it was just, it was my bachelor pad then, you know. I remember I remember getting this Bible, this little green Bible, paperback Bible that my aunt and my mother got for me when I was a kid. I remember sitting there against the wall, not even on any furniture, which put my head between my knees, completely directionless. I had a Bible, didn't know what, what to read and what to look to. I didn't even open it up. I think that was the first time where I actually can remember saying, I don't know what to do. You know, I mean, I got some ideas, but ultimately I think every one of these ideas is probably going to be a bad one. You pick yourself up and you say, this is this is my life and I'm going to make the most out of it and I'm going to do this and do that and I'm going to turn it around completely. And, you know, I mean, every 20-year-old thinks, you know, he's going to be independently wealthy by the time he's 35 and, <laughs> you know, and I'm have a great story to tell and it doesn't always work that way. You know, you try to make the best of it and do what you do what you can. But that was a time that, you know, I mean, you, you use the words, you know, was opened up to it. And after that, I mean, goodness gracious, there's so many times where, I mean, ladies, I, I could tell you there, I, sh- I shouldn't be sitting here in front of you today. Mm. No. Throughout the last 15 years, me and the Lord have had a lot of conversations. Been in accidents. Uh, fortunately, no one was seriously hurt or killed where I shouldn't have came through. You know, you go home and you, it hits you, you know, and you say, Lord, why are you keeping me here? Times at the police department where you get back in the car, or you get back to the PD, or you're on your way home, and you know the next morning, and you're like, "Why are you keeping me here?" Because that was close. Been shot at a few times, and that, that doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. especially when you've been missed by, you know, inches or a foot or a couple feet or whatever. Yeah, me and the Lord have had a lot of conversations like that, and there's been a lot of those times. 
the making of a man is left to right, it's up and down. There, there's going to be times where you feel like you can conquer a mountain. And there's going to be times where you feel like you can't step on a, a molehill. Mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the, the true test of a man is do you come back from both of them, you know? Mm-hmm. And do you meet, meet somewhere in the middle there? The Lord has never left me, even from when I was five years old, you know, sitting in a trailer park with no parents around. He's never left me, nor do I believe he ever, he ever will. All the way through my life, from the bad decisions I've made to the close calls I've had, you know, here and there, through pushing myself like I've pushed myself, he's never left me. And I'm going to tell you, like I said in church that day, I don't always win when the devil tempts me. I do not. And I believe that if you can sit here and say you do, you're probably not telling the truth. I've never tried to put myself out there as uh, anything that I'm not, and nor will I start. Paul talks to the people of uh, Corinth. I believe, from what I gather from it, in that same tone, uh, there's got to be some kind of transparency, and in that is the power of God. So that's the way I live, and I don't make no beans about that. So tell us what lights you up. What lights me up. What are you interested in? What are you passionate, are you passionate about? about? Now that you're almost well, 40 and you've done the mountains and the valleys. I, I really like to influence young men and young people in general. So um, whether it's at work, whether it's some kid I don't know or some guy I don't, I don't know or, or the kids my kids go to school with. I enjoy that. I believe that so much because I've seen so much of it and I felt that myself. In society in general, you know, I think that somewhere, lack of better terms, Christian folk have kind of um, gotten gotten this idea that you have to live to some certain way and let people know that. You know, even, you know, even my mother sometimes, you know, I'll talk to, put so much pressure on herself. If she feels like she had a weak moment or, you know, didn't um, do something that the Lord was nudging her to do, you know, it'll, it'll just bother her for weeks. And tell her, I'm like, Mom, put so much pressure on, your, on yourself. The Lord's not going to expect nothing from that we can't do and as human beings we can't do a lot you know so i just feel like there is a certain transparency that should be there i think it's lacking at times at any rate you ask that question what lights me up you know i get i get a lot of i get a lot of good feeling when you feel like you can give someone a word of advice and whether it's spiritual in nature or whether it's just life in general you know and if they really hear you and really understand you, and if you, you know, if you can tell your story, your little snippet of it, and it might affect somebody, it's a good day. That's what lights me up. I, I, you know, you can call it, I don't know, you can call it fellowship. It's not glamorous. That's what gives me a good feeling inside, you know. That's so good, though, because I feel like we live in a culture that is very, that glorifies youth a lot but there's so much in the wisdom of people who have lived who have lived through experiences who have walked through situations who have gone through that all and i really like we talk about this a lot we talk about mentoring a lot but sometimes you don't have the opportunity to sit down and mentor someone for 10 years or six months, but you get the opportunity, especially in the in the work that you do, but you get the opportunity here and there, even if it's in a moment, to mentor quickly. It's like, this matters. And the Bible talks and talks about wisdom, how it's, it's worth more than anything. It's worth more than gold. It's worth more than money. Proverbs keeps saying, seek wisdom above all. You know, you want wisdom. I love it that that's what excites you is to like, pour what you've learned and what you've experienced and the wisdom that you've gained because you have a lot of it 
I don't think you'll ever say that, but you do <clears throat> using those wells and pouring that into other people and other young men who need to hear whether it's spiritual advice or life advice, because young people need to hear life advice too. Like I've done this before. Let me help you. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think life advice comes from multiple different avenues too, especially it comes from a lot of success and it comes from a lot of screw ups, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm not saying this to beat myself up, but a lot of my advice comes from, uh, you know, my degree in the school of hard knocks, making bad decisions as a young man. Can you um, tell us <clears throat> some nuggets that you got that people spoke into your life? Maybe if it was just a quick, somebody said something to you or something that, you know, you get to do that a lot in people's lives now. Yeah. In your own life, have there well, have there been situations where someone spoke into your life that impacted you? Yeah. You know, and not so much maybe in words, but in actions. I really, you know, as I said, my dad was there and he was a unique individual, you know, loved him to death and all of his good traits, but struggled with addiction. Growing up, being raised, you know, in a home with a single mom, uh, my grandfather was my my number one man figure to look at, you know, male figure. And he uh, he, he did a really good job, the best that he could, you know, not not perfect. He's admired by many, but not perfect. You know, seeing the way he lived his life really impacted me. Very giving, hard and firm when needed to be, but extremely soft when not. Those are the things that, you know, when I talk to young men in, in the community, when I talk to my boys, you know, I try to teach them a lesson in, I call it knighthood, to be an amazing, great warrior when needed to be. And also be able to hold a crying baby and rock it to sleep as well. I think those are important traits to carry yourself a certain way with that quiet confidence. And I and I seen that in my grandfather. Whether or not it was how he was raised, he grew up extremely hard. You know, or maybe him being a military man. You know, you know. I remember when I was um, thirteen years old, fourteen years old. He was he was a veteran. He was a tank commander during the Korean War. In his older years, he was on the burial group. So it, you know, it'd be the dead of winter, snow blowing. You know, it's like twenty degrees outside, fifteen degrees, and I would go with him to these burials. You know, the ones on the weekend or the evenings or whatever. If I didn't have sports and. Really, he wanted me to serve a purpose. Well, that purpose was dropping him off at the burial site and then driving his vehicle up one of the cemetery roads and kind of out of sight. So it wasn't right there where the family was. My grandfather was older then, and uh, he was extremely bow-legged. It looked like he just got off of a horse, and he needed knee replacements and the whole bit. He could, you know, had a hard time walking. But I remember him standing there in that uniform. While they did the military proceedings, him and the other fellows there, they were just, just as just as old. And the snow's blowing and it's freezing cold. I remember them standing there and I could see the pain on his face. But they'd be motionless, motionless, standing at attention, you know. And seeing that as a kid, driving the van back down there to get him. And he would sit in the driver's seat of the van for like 15 minutes while the heat was on. And he'd just rub his knees, just in excruciating pain, just sit there and rub his knees until he was able to drive. Little lessons like that in patriotism. He loved his country. Always flew a flag. Little things like that. Little tidbits from certain men in your life. Grab and you grasp. Every man's made up of a whole lot of that from a whole lot of different places. That's why, you know, I always love my country, you know. Seeing things like that, seeing an example like that, you know. Mold you in who you are. You know, other fellows that I may have worked with. Not even family, you know, just employers or people that I've worked with through the uh, years. Seeing their work ethic, the ability to power through rough times and pain. If you talk to my kids, you know, they roll their eyes at times, but I, but I think they absorb it. You know, when I say mental toughness, 
mind over matter kind of stuff, you know. I like to send them motivational, you know, YouTube videos and things like that. And they probably say, oh, here's another video from Dad. You know, they probably don't even watch it. You know, like they probably text back a thumbs up and they ain't never watch it. You know, it is what it is. You know, I guess I'm kind of a cornball like that, you know, but that kind of stuff's important to me. It helps build those boys and the girls into. I was going to ask you, what kind of lessons are you teaching your girls from a different perspective? You know, you're trying to teach your boys how to be a man, but how do you as a father come and, you know, teach your girls about life? My girls, they probably see multiple sides of me. They laugh and roll their eyes whenever I'm holding the baby. And, but they know I got that soft side. They know my tough side. And they obviously know what I do for a living. And they know the reputation that I've established in that city with how I do my job. And, and I don't hide that from them. I can be extremely heavy-handed when needed to be. But I can also be extremely soft when I need to be, too. And I'd rather be soft. But they know that. And they know what their dad does for a living. Are they dating yet? Uh, yeah, Savannah did. She kind of experimented with that a little bit last year, and she'd probably roll her eyes too if she heard me say that because if I say I made it worse, you know. But, <laughs> oh, no. um, Come meet my dad. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I'm a very unique individual. I, I probably do some very unique things. We went to a basketball game at my alma mater at East Liverpool, and we had to take two cars because we all, all my kids and this young man couldn't all fit in the same car. So I told him to come ride with me. So it's just me and him. We talk, you know, not not the scary, you know, girlfriend's dad talk. No, I'm not like that. You know, just good, good old fashioned talk. Just like to see where you're at. You know, I think it comes to children, even Christian folk, even your church going folk have kind of lost it a little bit when it comes to the youth of our country and uh, where they're going. I raise my kids a little different. Whether it's right or wrong, it may backfire completely on me. I don't know. All I can do is do the best I can and what I know, what I think is correct at that time. And uh, I raise my kids tough. I expect a lot out of them. I don't make any excuses for that. My kids will tell you I push them. So I coached junior high track, helped coach. I was the assistant coach from junior high track in East Palestine. And uh, we had seventh and eighth grade girls. There was this one girl that ran the 400 meter. She just couldn't seem to get it done the way she knew she could and the way everyone else kind of knew she could. I says to her, young lady, are you giving it your all out there? And she says, well, the coaches and everyone's telling me to, you know, pace myself, you know, and don't run out of energy. So I have some left at the end. And I says, you do me a favor. I'll take complete responsibility for it if you completely fail. But I want you to do me a favor. I said, I found in life that you never know how much you have unless you put it all out there. At least once. You may fail miserably. You may be a complete and utter failure. But at least you'll know what your ends were. I said, well, you go out there, and from the crack of the gun, I want you to run as fast as you can. And if you have to walk across that finish line and finish dead last, I'll take 100% responsibility for it. Will you promise me that? And she says, I promise you that. In the crack of the gun, she took off sprinting as fast as she could. She ended up breaking the school record in 400 meters. <laughs> and she couldn't believe it. And I said, your whole life, no one's told you that. And she says, no, no one's ever told me that. You know, and I have her parent, you know, her, her mother comes up to me and she's like, I, I don't believe it. I, I believe that our children are capable of a lot, but I believe we hinder them a lot. You know, I'm very old fashioned in that when it comes to not, not just athletics, but goodness gracious, life in general, responsibility, growing up. I believe God's going to hold us to that one day, you know, it'd be completely wrong, but uh, that's the way I believe. 
put unneeded pressure on my kids, but I challenge them and I give them a lot of a lot of responsibility. I know where I was when I was that age and uh, what me and my brother were capable of. You know, fending for yourself. A lot of these kids now can't remember their can't remember their gym bag when they leave home. Me and my brother had nobody there when we left and nobody there when we came home. You had to make it and, and you learned. Not that I grew up to be you know anything special, but there's certain things that I think our kids are lacking that that kind of hurts my heart. Good old fashioned dinner table talk, you know. Ronald Reagan did say that he believed that most great change in America happens around the dinner table. Amen. So tell us how you're letting your light shine. Oh, heavens. You know, I guess I'd have an easier time answering it if I followed myself around. You're so busy living life, sometimes you can't follow yourself around. Becky was saying, why can't someone tell me? Right, <laughs> right, right. Tell me maybe you're not, maybe you're not shining if no one's telling you. I, you know, <laughs> maybe you're out, you know, if no one's telling you. I'd, um, well, you live your life very purposefully. Yes. I know you're, you're trying. Well, when you, you get know, up in the morning and you... Put on your uniform or you, you know, you're raising your kids walking with Jesus. That old adage, you know, uh, something to the extent if, you know, if you need to use, use words. Mm-hmm. Preach the gospel. Yeah, you probably Everywhere yeah. you go and right. if necessary, use words. Saint um, Coinus. Yeah, maybe. you know, I tell a lot of stories. Some of them don't involve me, involve people in my life. And I use those stories to do my best to influence people. Kate remembered that time in church when Chuck asked me to share that Christmas and told him that story about how I felt that day leaning on that courtroom wall. Things like that, when I think it comes from a different perspective than what people are used to hearing. And I think if they can hear that kind of stuff, it may do them some good, you know, or may do me some good saying, you know, I think it's a positive, not a negative. Mostly, I just try to live as transparent as I can. You know, I told a kid just the other day, he was uh, using some foul language in public. Young kid, I don't know, he's probably 13, 14 years old. He says, also, I imagine you don't swear, huh? And I says, well, I tell you what, I says, if I drop a piano on my toe, if if you didn't swear, you're a better man than me. I'll just put it out. You know, I'm as, I'm as real as they come. But I mean, really, I was thinking about this verse a couple of weeks ago. The verse that says, you know, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? And if that is what the Lord requires of us, those are three ways that we shine. Because that's three ways that God's like, that's how people know there's Jesus in you. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And when I think about you, those are three things that absolutely come to mind. I mean, even if you're unable to be like, I'm not quite sure how I shine. But I do think my answer would be looking at you, Zach does justly and he loves mercy and he walks really humbly with his God. And you know something? On my dying day, if my kids and anyone that knew me can could sit back and say he was real, he loved the Lord and walked with the Lord and used every ounce of mercy and grace the Lord had and <laughs> smiled at it. I'll be happy with that. I always wanted to live my life like, you know, I call the men of the greatest generation. I think they had substance. I think they had something about them that was different than what we see most men out there today. I always told myself if I could live like that, you know, if I could still maintain those kind of um, characteristics that I had succeeded. I think we're missing a lot of that. It's important to me. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, mainly is letting people know that there's a God out there that loves you, and he loves you no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. I don't care what road you turn down, how many times you walk away, he still loves you, and he ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I'm living proof of that. I have done wrong upon wrong upon wrong and have made horrible decisions. 
I try my best to be perfectly honest with myself. It's like this. When it's just you and Jesus there, you can't hide nothing. I believe that I'm not going to start doing that with the people in my circle, with Mm -hmm. the people in society. When it's just you and Jesus there, buddy, he knows you well. He knows you very well. He knows all your dirt. He knows all your good. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. He um, still loves you. He still loves you no matter what. And I try to tell that to my kids. No matter what happens, you know, you, you still have a God there that shows more grace and mercy than anything, you know. And when you're standing in a courtroom and you see subject upon subject upon sub- person, that's a police term, person upon person upon person in there on trial for whatever, trafficking, dope, murder, sexual assault, when you see that everyone has given up on them, absolutely everybody. And usually, I've seen it time and time again, and it still blows my mind to think about it. The one person in the courtroom that's still there is their mama, mm-hmm. crying her eyes out, still there. Buddies are gone. Their fellow hood rats are gone. <laughs> their brother ain't there. Their sister's not there. But their mama's there. And we could put our own self in that situation. You know, We could put our mm-hmm. own self on that stand or at that attorney's table and waiting to hear the verdict. But Christ is always there. No matter what you do, he's there crying his eyes out and there with open arms. You, know, you kind of feel the power of that, you know, when you see it in that type of scenario. His grace is amazing. You mess up time and time again. I see it time and time again, you know, because we're prone to sin. We are. He still loves us no matter what. It's when, a good feeling. When you talk about wanting to see more transparency, especially with men, what do you? What would you say to the guys? What do you think it would be or do different? If people were more transparent, especially men. I think it would open the doors of the church. I really do. How many times do you give an altar call? Not just this church. Goodness gracious, every church I've ever been in. How many times do you give an altar call? And everyone goes, you know, not me. Not me. That's <laughs> not me. You, you know, He's looking around the room. When the, when the uh, preacher says, is there anybody in here that's just at their end? Is there anybody in here that just can't do it no more? Can't go down the road they're going anymore. And you're looking for a way out. Here's the way out. Christ is the way out. All you have to do is stand up and come up here. Do you really think, and this is coming from not a 40-year-old. This is coming from a 23-year-old. I remember I remember being this man sitting there saying, wow, these people got it together. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> do you really think that 300 people sitting there have it together? Well, and we've been talking about this at church a lot over the last year, how you don't grow in rows. You know, I mean, we can get fed the word, we can worship together corporately, but talking about how you really grow in circles and communities. So is that what you're saying? Like men need to take a more proactive role in being in community with each other and being real and transparent? Like I said before, I think that, you know, men always joke about your man card, right? Mm -hmm. They always joke about losing your man card, right? You you lost your man card today, (laughs) right? You know? You got caught, you know, making a apple turnover or something. I don't know, you know. Getting your man card comes from a whole lot. Like I said, a whole lot of left and rights, a whole lot of ups and downs, a whole lot of screw ups. Men don't want to talk about that. They'll talk about the ups. Yeah, I did that. I've been there. They don't want to talk about the other stuff. They don't want to talk about all their all their shortcomings, all their downfalls. So it becomes mum's the word. No one wants to talk about that. What? Is, and this is not coming from a theologian, what is the basic principle of God's grace in Jesus being there for us? Why did he come? Not for our good times. When these young fellows are sitting there 
And I've, I've been there when your wife's going, that's you. <laughs> she's like elbowing Hello. you. Like, Hello. you know, you were on the verge of tears the other day because life just is not going the way it's supposed to go. Transparency. Most men, I don't say every man, I'm like absolutes. Most men out there will spend their entire life, or at least most of it, comparing themselves to other men. That's a it trap. happens in the animal kingdom, for goodness <laughs> sakes. It's going to happen with human beings. So when you sit in church and you do the same thing and you see all these great men, they are great men. A lot of them are. And I'll tell someone to their face, you're a great man. Love you to death, right? That's a good place to be to have it together. But no one truly has it all together. <laughs> I think we would be in a, a much better place to influence people, to win people. It's not just men, but Christians in general, if we opened ourselves up a little more. I was going to say, listen up, men. But you're talking to us, too. Yeah. <laughs> that's just It's a great message. It. I think that's a great message. Mm-hmm. We need to be more transparent and be reaching out to people and not acting like we have our acts together and being real and honest. You know, I, I remember a message that your husband gave one day. And I remember he stood up there on this same subject. And, and he says, yeah, people see this and they see that. And he was like, train wreck. <laughs> he used that exact <laughs> word, you know. It says train wreck. And I laughed because, you know, it, it was exactly what I was talking about. There's something spiritually comforting in that. I think that's the way Christ sees us. I think it's a slap in his face to go about our lives in any other way. I think that you hold him in contempt. I would rather see him being in a position to use me and all of my shortcomings. The goods, but my shortcomings and say, he is here doing this where he's at right now because of me. So you're letting your light shine through you. Through your transparency. That's how light shines the best. So is there anything else you want to tell us? Ooh. I've talked a lot. It can be anything. I've talked more tonight than I've talked in a long time. (laughs) Are you a farmer too? (laughs) Are you still farm? We hobby farm. That's a great question. I always wanted to be a farmer. In fact, if I could quit police work, you know, I'd definitely be a farmer. But we hobby farm. So the difference between hobby farming and farming is... Farming, you get a chance to make a little money. Hobby farming, it's hopeless. You just spend a lot of money. That's all you do. <laughs> what do you have on your I'm hobby say, farm? I see cows at your house when I've been yeah. there. So um, my wife, yeah, I think she does. She tells me she does. She likes the animals and stuff. I keep them around solely to slave my children and teach them work ethic. And they'll tell you the same thing. I love that lifestyle. I think there's wholesomeness in it. If you're not doing it for a living, it brings me peace. And I like teaching my children, you know, a certain, not lifestyle, because you can teach these things in many a life of lifestyles, teaching them a certain set of principles. Hardest thing to teach, teach a kid is doing something you don't want to do and being able to do it with a smile on your face. I have great children. They will do what me and their mother say. We're at that phase where I try to teach them just doing what we say is sometimes not good enough. You need to do what we say and put a smile on your face and not be grumpy about it. <laughs> Because that's a lesson in life. You have to do what the boss says. But if you do what the boss says every every day while you stomp out the door, one day you're going to stomp out and the door's (laughs) going to close behind you. So little lessons in life, you know. I live a certain way to teach them a certain thing. Well, Zach, you are definitely a hardworking man and you let your light shine. Yeah, for sure. We're glad you came and shared with us. It was great getting to know your story. If you see Zach on Sunday morning, don't put a fake smile on your face and say, everything's great. (laughs) Let's be real. Be real.